electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Julia Borston, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Happy Monday. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm John Fort with Bosa. Carl is off. We've got to start with this market. Six straight weeks of declines for tech stocks. NASDAQ has lost a quarter of its value since its 52-week high. And while Friday's bounce might have provided some relief, we're starting off this week yet again in the red tech and consumer discretionary underperforming today. The XLK tech sector fund down, let's see how much, about uh, 1.5% right now. The, I get the sense there got to be some bargains in here, but it's hard yeah. to know which ones. I mean, you look at Shopify, it is off, oh my goodness, like 11% today alone. It's down trading at levels from late 2019, but then Coinbase is also off 10%, and, you know, there's a lot... Of, uh, of that leverage to, to crypto. And we've got the questions about crypto right now. It's hard for investors to know what to do. Yeah, we sure do. And something we're going to be exploring throughout the show is some of those similarities or maybe not similarities to the dot-com bubble. Spoiler alert, we are not there. Um, but also, John, we're going to look at enterprise spending, right? We think about the last few weeks of earnings. You have a Microsoft that has held up relatively better, at least its results were. Um, could that be the next shoe to drop, right? We've seen a hold up relative to e-commerce, relative to consumer devices and spending um, in terms of the tech sector. So what's happening? Now, over the weekend, we had another venture capital firm, John, Craft Ventures, warn its portfolio companies, you got to conserve cash, be careful about spending, comes on top of other companies, public ones that have had the, said the same, like Uber and Meta and Robinhood, that is laying off uh, numbers. So is this over? I mean, it, it seems no, but are we going to get a dead cat bounce or a head fake? I guess that's what everyone's trying to figure out right now. We've got a good show lined up for that, too. I know Danelle thinks there could be some opportunity Sarah Fryer of Nextdoor, she's been hit hard, her company. Uh, so we'll, we'll discuss all of this. Let's bring in Mike Santoli now. He has more context on this and Wall Street's hierarchy of fears right now. Mike, how is that playing out on a day like today when the Nasdaq once again underperforming? Yeah, D, very low conviction. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of good things about Friday's bounce people are looking to seize on, but not a lot of follow through right now. You mentioned uh, the, the echoes, at least perceived echoes with that dot-com bust of 20-some years ago. That's one thing to get into. Obviously, recession matters more than anything, uh, whether we get one or not. That's going to determine things. But this idea that we're deflating the excesses in a rapid way, I do think has also infested, infected the debate. Uh, take a look at the current NASDAQ. It basically peaked back November 19th. We had a 30% drop into last week's lows. That was 30%. Now, when does a NASDAQ decline, a bear market in the NASDAQ, go much beyond 30%? Well, if you look at the numbers and how this kind of mini crash has taken place, most of the worst instances was when in 2000 to 2002. So here's what that chart looks like. And essentially, it was just sort of waves and waves of uh, a cascade over two and a half years of selling. The 30% drop we just got from November, that was done by here, right? It basically, in two months, you had it down 30%. But there's important differences. One is just exactly how aggressive the momentum surge was into this point in 2000. The NASDAQ was up 
by five times in the prior five years, 500%. We were up 200% into the current peak uh, back in November. Uh, just to take one stock, which was here, then, there then, and there now, is Microsoft. It peaked at 60 times earnings back then. It went down to 22. Well, this time we peaked at 35, and we're around 24 right now. So yes, big, important stocks went down a lot, but this trajectory looks a lot more like ARK than the current NASDAQ. So that's one thing people are trying to lean back on in terms of making the distinctions. Yep, Mike, there is, as you just referred to, a certain group of stocks that feel a lot more like the NASDAQ back then. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a long, cold winter, not sort of uh, just a, a, a cold snap like we're experiencing yeah. now. I, I seem to remember a week or two ago, you talking about uh, 3850, 3900 level on the S&P as being particularly important. Now, we, we sort of got into that space and then bounced yeah. out of it. How are traders feeling now about the significance of those levels, given the conviction or lack thereof we're, we've got here? Yeah, John, that was a, about a week ago. I don't think I or anybody thought we'd necessarily rush to that range uh, down 5 to 8% from, uh, from a week earlier in four days. But that's what happened. I think that the takeaway is it was a plausible trading low. It's an area where it makes sense for the market to quit going down, S&P down just under 20%. So uh, it's a point where you've built in a lot of the negatives. Uh, I don't know that there's a lot of people who think that that's the low, uh, but it, for now it works. And I think a lot of folks like Mike Wilson talking about down into the mid-3,000s mid looks more plausible for a variety of reasons. But that's also if you think you know, there's jeopardy to earnings in the, in the second half of the year. Ouch, mid-3,000s. Okay. Yeah. Mike, thank you. Our next guest is a buyer at this level, hoping the relief rally continues. Joining us now, Satori Fund founder Dan Niles. Dan Niles, a buyer? A buyer, Dan? That, 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 of some things, maybe. Of some things. Tell me, I mean, I know you, you expect uh, some, some bad things to continue to happen, but what are you interested in buying here? Where are you seeing opportunity? Well, first, just to make sure everybody's clear, my view is that the S&P goes down 20 to 50% before this is all done from peak to trough. So that's the long-term view. This is a very short-term view in that, you know, last Thursday we put out a tweet saying, you know, we thought things were overdone. Um, we had taken our short positions down, which normally average about you know, 55% since we started the fund of our assets is invested short down to three. And we thought the next 5% move in the S&P would be up. So be very clear, we're viewing this as a short-term bounce. If you're not willing to trade the market, stay in cash because we're not even close to being done with this market going down. So with that as the preamble, <laughs> um, you know, right now what we're looking at is spaces that have gone just absolutely decimated. And the NASDAQ is nowhere near decimated. But if you look at Chinese tech stocks, for example, um, you know, using the K-Web as an example of that, that's down 75% from its all-time highs, 75 the NASDAQ's down about 28%. And a lot of these stocks are still egregiously overvalued, even after having come down this much, because many of them don't even have any earnings or cash flow. So that's one of the areas where we think you might have actually seen the near-term bottom, which is some of these Chinese internet stocks. But we're pairing that still with looking to put on shorts back again um, in you know, tech in NASDAQ for that reason. The other space we like, is uh, a lot of what we call the reopening plays, so travel and leisure. So we own some Southwest Airlines, for example. Um, we own some Uber. Um, we own uh, names in that hotel space, et cetera, where we're all going to go out. 
we're going to go on vacation, etc. Whereas, you know, during the pandemic, we were all at home streaming movies, buying things off of Amazon, hmm. off, you know, off of our new iPhone and iPad. So spending is switching from goods to services. Now, something that keeps kind of running through my head, I wonder what you think of it. As hard as it is for investors to believe that good stuff is expensive when the market is up, it's like, oh, Snowflake, uh, you know, look how fast it's growing. It, it must be uh, worth more from here stock-wise. It's also hard for investors to believe mediocre stuff is cheap when the market is down. So are there potentially some deals in turnaround stocks or in growth stocks that, you know, maybe they don't really have earnings or, or cash flow to speak of now, but their models are working. Too many investors perhaps overlooking that, and some of those will survive. At, at what point is it worth taking a look at those edge plays for the value? I think you have to have a time component to this. And what people are forgetting is for the last 13 years, the Fed has had your back ever since the global financial crisis. So every drop has been small. It's been very short in time. And you've always made that back because the Fed just kept stimulating. Um, you don't have that anymore. In fact, the Fed is absolutely your enemy right now. And so our base case is we go into a recession in 2023 and inflation is still higher than people expect. In our case, we think it's still 4 to 5%. And at which point multiples just continue to compress. If you look at the 1970s as an example of that, the trailing S&P multiple was 20 times. It got down to seven times, and you lost nearly 50% of your money during that period of time. And so I think you need to keep that in the back of your mind as the big picture. And I still remember 2000. I mean, I remember Apple with nearly $4 billion of cash on the balance sheet, losing, I think it was $66 million a quarter in cash flow, trading below cash value hmm. at its worst. So if you think about that as the backdrop, and the fact that we just started raising rates, I mean, and the economy is slowing down. You're seeing companies missing numbers, estimates coming lower, and you've got, you know, whatever the fallout is with the Russia situation, with food prices, mm -hmm. et cetera. And that still hasn't completely gotten baked into numbers yet. You know, you still have a long way to go. So for us, we're matching whatever we're buying on the long side with names on the short side where we go, well, yeah, things in smartphone area, PC area, that stuff, you had massive surges in demand, and now that's falling off, and you've got inventories building up, which is something we haven't talked about. And so when companies get that golden screw or that one piece they're missing, you're going to see a big inventory liquidation too. So that's why we're being, you know, I don't want to lead your viewers astray here. That's why we're looking for a bounce but the goal yeah. is to then short off the bounce and sell off of that while maybe we buy names down 75% sitting in China kind of thing. That's what we're right. talking And to be clear, it's a short-term bounce that you're looking at. You think the trajectory continues to be downward, Dan. Um, you like Chinese plays because of the value. You said they're off about 70% from all-time highs. Do you have to like uh, Netflix, which is down 70% plus from its 52-week high, or Shopify 80% off its peak? Are you bottom fishing for some of the American names that have just seen such valuation compression? What separates them from the Chinese names? Well, I think there's several things. Number one, China basically is, you know, put a gun to their head. And this is why this has happened, because they're continuing to lock down cities, et cetera. And I think eventually they're going to get away from that, especially as we go towards the fall. And you've had massive regulations as they tried to drive towards common prosperity. So they've taken these companies down based on things that they've done that they can easily reverse. 
the stuff that's going on in the U.S., that can't be easily reversed because the reason Shopify was where it was in the first place was the fact that you had all of this incredibly easy money pumped into the market. So you had the Fed increase their balance sheet by $4.8 trillion during the global pandemic. You had checks going out from the government of $5.5 trillion. That's about $10 trillion. The U.S. economy is only $20 trillion in size. So that's why we got all of these stocks all pumped up. Now you've got inflation running 8%. You've got to take that all down as the Fed has finally figured out that inflation isn't transitory and it's going to be here and stickier than we thought. So that's why I can't go and say, yeah, you want to get involved with a lot of these NASDAQ things. Everyone's a little different. Netflix, you got tons of competition. And they have one of the worst models, in my opinion, because you've got a Disney that can send you to movie theaters, send you, sell you merchandise, do all these other things, sell you ads to monetize their, the amount they're spending on content. Netflix doesn't have that. So each case is a little different, but that's why we're not looking at a lot of the NASDAQ names unless they have a lot of cash flow and we think they're a reopening play, which is why we look at something like an Uber, for example, where right. we think, yeah, they're going to benefit. So you're not buying these names, but would you short some of the NASDAQ names that are already down 70, 80 percent? Do you think that there's more to go? Where are you shorting right now? Yeah, where we're shorting is not so much those types of names, but um, without getting into specifics. So smartphones, you look at that space, you know, you had uh, four out of five years before the pandemic where unit demand was down year over year. Same thing in uh, the PC space, where I think it was five out of seven years before the pandemic, demand was down in units year over year. But then we all had to work from home, learn from home, et cetera. You know, PC demand was up over 10% the last two years. In Q1, however, it was down five. Smartphone demand, similar situation, where it was up pretty strongly, it was in fact up 25% in the first quarter of last year. It actually was down 5% in the first quarter of this year. Mm. So those are the areas, those are names more down like, you know, 30%, 20 to 30%, where we think there's another 20 to 30% of downside. That's what we're going after as we go from buying PCs and smartphones to going on vacation. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Well, (laughs) let's hope things hold together while so many of us are on vacation. Dan, thank you. Dan Niles from Satori. And still to come, upgrades for Alibaba and Netflix. Plus, next door, Sarah Fryer. Tech Jack is just getting started. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work.
back. Let's get a gut check on Chinese internet names. JP Morgan revising its thesis on stocks like Pinduoduo, Tencent, and Alibaba, moving up its investment timeline after the Chinese government announced an end to its crackdown on the tech sector in April. JPM specifically giving a double upgrade to Alibaba to overweight from underweight, despite that stock's fall over the past few weeks from COVID lockdowns. The bank notes that it trades at the lowest price-to-earnings multiple among Chinese e-commerce names and expects EPS growth to recover more than 30% starting in the fourth quarter, D. Yeah, seeing some opportunity, like Dan Niles just told us. Meanwhile, shares of Nextdoor, they are on the move. Uh, They are slightly higher following a very volatile week. The company reported better-than-expected Q1 results. However, its guidance for the current quarter, that missed estimates. It's forecasting an 18% adjusted EBITDA losses for this year. Joining us now, Nextdoor CEO Sarah Fry. Sarah, it's great to have you today. Uh, This is a tough market for unprofitable companies. You're expecting not just net losses this year, but negative adjusted EBITDA. How do you tell your story in the current moment? Has that had to change? Yeah, Deidre, thank you for that. We did come off a very strong Q1. Um, Total revenue, 51 million, grew 48% year over year. And of course, our engagement, this was the third consecutive quarter of an acceleration in engagement. Um, We are still obviously investing. We raised almost 700 million last year. Um, We came off a year where we showed 24 points of EBITDA improvement, and we're still guiding to five points of EBITDA improvement for the full year in 2022. But we are trying to balance investing for continued growth, local is on the rise, but making sure we are mindful and realistic about this current environment. Yeah, so Sarah, that is sort of the story that we have heard from you since you guys went public. I know that you continue to invest. You have a hyper-local model. But the question is sort of, do you have to change that story, that narrative, when the macro backdrop is getting that much harder? And ad spend, marketing is typically the first thing the companies pull back on. We're already seeing that. So how do you tell investors that Nextdoor is still a good bet in this environment? Well, we are still benefiting from two mega themes that have not changed One is this constant rise of local. And in fact, often when times are tougher, that's when Nextdoor really sings. So for example, if you need to support your local business because you want to make sure they stay in business, if you want to support your neighbors, make sure they've got a job, or we see people going to our for sale and free section, for example, maybe you're buying the secondhand bike rather than the new bike for your kids. So one, we're benefiting from that. And then second, in terms of monetization, We saw really strong growth with our advertisers in Q1, and that continues. Um, Why are we seeing that? Because we're a new platform. We're different. Uh, We're all about community. And so we're doing very well with advertisers who may not have seen this type of avenue to get to neighbors before. Sarah, it looks like you're growing about 50% year over year, um, you know, both in 2021 and, and again in Q1. And as a percentage of revenue, your losses are sort of narrowing. So, I mean, I wonder, it, it seems like operationally the right things are happening at Nextdoor despite the stock falling from, what, 13 bucks to, to $3 and change right now. How much do you yeah. really have to change if the model is working? Is it a matter of controlling costs in some areas while investing in others? And if so, what are the areas where you're able to control those costs? Yeah, to me, it's always control what you control can control is what I tell my team. Right? The stock will trade ultimately on fundamentals, and today it's trading on macro, which we cannot impact. 
Um, we are still investing, so we are still in hiring mode, particularly in areas like prod devs. We want to look for those great engineers, great product people, and um, where we'll tend to be more mindful are, are areas like uh, our marketing spend and so on to make sure we're doing the right thing to lean into the opportunity. Certainly what I've learned going through multiple downturns um, in different guises is sometimes you want to lean in in these moments and be opportunistic. Um, and I think now is a great time for us to be bringing in great people to next door because as you point out, our model is working. So for example, on talent then, one way I know that CEOs sometimes try to leverage models like this is pointing to the upside for stock-based comp. How are you structuring those packages? Are there certain things about the model that you need to show prospective new employees to give them confidence that uh, that upside is likely to appear? Yeah, there's, there's really three reasons in my mind that people are coming to Nextdoor or come to a company like ours. Number one is actually purpose. So people want to have impact on the world. Um, and Nextdoor is a great place to do that. Um, the second thing is they're looking for businesses that are still in growth mode. Um, and where there's still an ability, ability to build big. And I think the numbers that we put up are very differentiated, both for Q1 and certainly even when you look to our outlook, still growing at around 33% at the midpoint. And then the third thing, of course, is that there's going to be opportunity as the stock recovers. Um, we think it's a great story right now. We're actually seeing it in our recruiting outcomes. And so just continuing to lean into the purpose of Nextdoor, the fact that we benefit from this rise of local, and the fact that social commerce is this huge tailwind for us. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. If you continue hiring, especially when some other firms are pulling back now. Uh, Sarah, I did want to get your thoughts on crypto, finally. Uh, you were CFO at Square when they pushed further into uh, Bitcoin and blockchain, um, and you just joined the board of Consensus, an Ethereum software company. What do you make of everything that's going on right now, especially what are you guys talking about at the board of Consensus? Uh, yeah, it's a so first of all, it's a phenomenal company with brands like MetaMask on the consumer side um, and on the build side for the Ethereum blockchain um, areas like Infura or Truffle for developers. Um, I'm really excited where Web3 takes us. I think it is this new age of community. It actually dovetails really nicely with Nextdoor because the neighborhood may be the ultimate um, distributed autonomous organization or community. Um, and what we're talking about is, of course, now the opportunity with Ethereum as we head towards the merge. Um, and, you know, it's okay to actually have things cool off because it gives people time, I think, to build wisely and build well and not just be chasing a very heated mm -hmm. market. Yeah, you said something similar to me a few years ago, Sarah. Uh, consistency there. Thank you very much, Sarah Fryer, <laughs> CEO of Nextdoor. You're welcome. As we head to break, let's get a check on a few software cloud stocks. Salesforce selling out of its stake in Snowflake. The company had a pre-IPO investment there. You can read more about that story on CNBC.com. More on other cloud names to target coming up. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Ooh. Summarize with AI in a click. Click, 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 click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Deirdre Bosa with John Ford. Getting a gut check on the market. Stocks are taking a leg lower today. Energy is the big leader right now. The Nasdaq, however, continues to underperform with tech down about one and a quarter of a percent. Amazon, Apple, two mega caps weighing on that index. Uh, more on some of the names struggling to gain momentum. That's next. First, let's get a news update with Courtney Regan. Courtney, good morning. Hi, Dee. Here's what's happening at this hour. McDonald's will sell all its restaurants in Russia after more than three decades in the country. McDonald's had paused its operations after Russia invaded Ukraine. The company recently employed 62,000 people across 800 locations in Russia. Starbucks is the latest company that will start covering eligible travel expenses for employees seeking abortions or gender-affirming surgeries. The benefit will apply to the company's 240,000 U.S. workers and extend to any dependents enrolled in Starbucks healthcare. The coffee chain joins other companies like Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, and Salesforce preparing for a post-row workplace. And Dubai's Emirates Airlines posting a loss over $1 billion in the fiscal year ending in March. However, this is nearly an 80% improvement from the prior year's loss. The world's largest long-haul carrier has resumed flights to 140 destinations, but the surge in fuel prices continues to overshadow a recovery in the travel demand. Back over to you, John. All right, Court, thank you. The Nasdaq uh, bouncing on Friday, not today, but even on Friday, not every stock participated in that rally evenly. Dom Chu has a look at the names still near their 52-week lows. Dom. Because we like to be balanced about our reporting here, John, the idea here we talked about on Friday, some of the big stocks that had bounced a lot off the lows that we saw late last week as the NASDAQ kind of hit those multi-year levels. However, with the NASDAQ the way it's shaping up right now, there are still a handful of names that are kind of lagging behind. So when you, we talk about the QQQ trust that tracks the NASDAQ 100, and you saw that kind of bounce on Thursday's lows over the past kind of couple of days or so, a lot of stocks haven't participated. And just remember, in the grand scheme, that QQQ trust still sits very far below that record high that we saw over the course of the last year. So we decided to run a screen on which stocks were the ones that are holding the most near the lows. Now, we had a few criteria that we wanted to throw in there. First of all, they had to be NASDAQ 100 components. And then they had to have hit at least a 52-week low or worse in the last one-week period. And then from there, how many are still within 5% of that 52-week low? So to give you an idea, 100 NASDAQ component stocks goes down to 11 with that screen. And here are some of the real highlights and brand names that are still languishing near their 52-week lows. Alphabet, parent company of Google, still within about 4% of its 52-week low, at least. And then Cisco Systems, about 3.5% above its lows. Intel is only about 2% above its lows that it hit in the last week. And then both eBay and VeriSign are the two NASDAQ 100 stocks that are hovering just about at their lows 
of this past year at least, just about one-tenth of one percent there. And by the way, eBay hits that low in today's session. So as we talk about this movement and the kind of momentum that we are seeing, we talked about the big bounces, maybe short covering from last week, maybe some fundamental value buying. Those are some of the big names, guys, that are still languishing despite the fact that we've seen a bounce. I'll send things back over to you. Fascinating screen, Dom, especially seeing Alphabet at the top of that list there really tells you the role that uh, mega caps have played in the current market. Meanwhile, the list of tech companies cutting costs, that's growing. Carvana, Uber, Twitter, Meta, just a few names tightening their belts. Craft Ventures made headline this weekend with its advice to portfolio companies to tighten their belts as well. A sentiment shared by a lot of tech Will this slowdown spill into enterprise software? Perhaps the next question. Joining us now, GGV Capital Managing Partner, Jeff Richards. Jeff, great to have you with us this morning. What do you think is enterprise spending the next shoe to drop? Well, Deirdre, we haven't seen that yet. Um, We've seen no slowdown in enterprise software spending. And in fact, if you read some of the recent reports that have come out, surveys of CIOs, CTOs, Gartner just came out with their forecast. Uh, Enterprise spending in 2020 was roughly 400 billion. They're forecasting 600 billion for 2023. As you know, these shifts to the cloud are long multi-year projects often involving systems integrators like Accenture or Deloitte. And so we we think it bodes well over the next few years, but certainly to to the conversation you just had with Sarah, smart CEOs and smart founders are making sure that their businesses are well-run, checking in on their underlying metrics and and the efficiency of their business, because that is how the public market is now valuing these software companies. We're seeing a much bigger focus on a multiple of free cash flow than we were 12 months ago. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, Sarah Fryer was optimistic. We also spoke to Sundar Pichai of Alphabet last week, who says that his investment plans are still on track. But there is sort of this separation now between companies that can continue to do that because they have the cash and those that cannot. Uber is an example of one that says that they're going to scale back. Robinhood as well. Some of the others. So is this still going to play out? Could that weigh on earnings for the rest of the year? I know this shift is secular, but in the shorter term, I think there was this belief that, as you said, cloud spending, enterprise spending was going to be kept intact. Maybe that softens? I think it's somewhat sector dependent. I mean, Uber obviously is heavily heavily reliant on consumer spending and in some ways travel and return to work in major metro markets. You know, we see pockets of of real optimism. Uh, You guys know we're big fans of SMBs and SMB tech, so companies that sell technology to small businesses in America. And we're starting to see a big rebound there. We forecasted that we would coming out of COVID. We're now seeing metrics for small business in America to be strong. And again, small businesses 40% of US GDP, 60% of Americans work for a small business. We're seeing, I'm on the board of a company called Homebase, uh, and we're seeing hours worked up 2% month over month and up 7% in hospitality. So hours worked being a metric that says, what is the health of these businesses? How likely are they to be able to attract the labor that they need to operate their business? And in particular, seeing it in hospitality is great because the hotel industry has had a very hard time with labor over the last few years. Yeah, Jeff, uh, I was just talking to the CEO of Toast, on Friday, kind of fitting into that small business narrative. But part of what I'm wondering is whether it's enterprise spending, small business spending, which spending is going to continue, right? What problems does the technology have to solve, especially in an inflationary environment? And how good does the model have to be in order for some of these either, uh, you know, startups or newly public companies to get the capital that they need to grow if they're not profitable? It's a great question, John. I guess a couple of things I would highlight. One, when you think about the technology that these SMB tech companies, you mentioned Toast, but also companies like RingCentral, Square on the private side, Electric, Brightwheel, et cetera, 
they're deflationary, right? They're helping these companies, they're helping business owners run their business more effectively, lowering their cost to capital, lowering their cost to, to process payments on, on behalf of their customers, lowering their supply chain costs. So we see that trend of SMB tech as deflationary for these businesses. But as you highlight, if we head into a, a recessionary environment, budgets always get scaled back. It takes longer for companies to buy technology. I think it's a little bit hard to forecast right now. Right now, we're still seeing low unemployment, good growth, as I mentioned, in earnings, as you guys have covered. You know, Q1 earnings for most tech companies were strong. We haven't yet seen that impact on the actual performance of the businesses. The biggest thing that we've been trying to do is roll up our sleeves, dig in over the last few months, spend time with our founders and CEOs, and make sure that they're, as you mentioned, well-capitalized and have the right uh, underlying fundamentals in their business so they can ride out a storm if we have one. Fortunately, for those of us who were here uh, in 2000 and also 08, 09, we know how painful that cycle can be. And so trying to leverage that experience mm. and pass that wisdom along so that folks can make sure they can navigate some choppy waters. How far are we in the space you deal in from that kind of psychological capitulation where maybe you got some really solid companies uh, with, with a promising future, but they've dreamed of an IPO and you want them as an investor, to perhaps be more open to getting acquired based on the type of company and the trajectory. Uh, are, they, are they getting there when perhaps they ought to at least be open to it? Or is there still, is there still that hope? I think you'll see more M&A this year. You're certainly going to see some capitulation, folks that realize it's harder to build a, a billion-dollar company than perhaps we thought. The only thing I would say is if you think about all those companies that went public in the last few years, most of them are very well capitalized. They raised 250, 500 million, in some cases a billion dollars. They're set for the next five plus years and they will now become acquirers of some of these other private companies. So one of the benefits of a healthy and vibrant IPO market is it creates that next generation of folks that can then become acquirers. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting year. I, obviously, we have a whole bunch of things at the macro level that are out of our control. I love what Sarah said, control what you can control. Mm -hmm. And so the feedback for our, our founders and our CEOs has been, look, hunker down, make sure you've got plenty of capital, make sure you've got the right people around you, make sure you're delivering a ton of value for your customer. So if you're an SMB tech business, make sure that those customers love your product. You've got high net dollar retention, you've got high NPS, uh, and you're doing everything you can to make sure that they're successful in using your products. And, and, you know, like I said, we're bullish over the long run, but this could be a choppy year. Yeah. Speaking of IPOs, uh, Jeff, the window has pretty much been shut uh, for this year so far. Um, Instacart filing confidentially um, did elicit some surprise, thinking who would go public in this market. But I wonder, what do you think they're going to show? What's the calculus there? And what could that mean for the already public gig economy companies if they show good numbers? Would that be good or bad for them? Well, we're not an investor in Instacart. Um, but one thing I will say, they have a tremendous CFO. So I wasn't surprised that uh, they may try to, to to break the ice in the IPO market. You know, at the end of the day, public market investors and even crossover investors in the private market have a bevy of choices. And with public comps down anywhere from 50 to 75 percent, the bar is going to be very high for companies that want to go public. And, and so, again, I'm, I'm not an investor in Instacart. I don't have access to any of their financial numbers. But, um, you know, well-run companies should be the first to get public this year when we do see a return of the IPO market. Jeff Richard, it's always great to get your insights. Thank you. And after the recent sell-off, is Netflix still overvalued? One longtime bear is changing his tune. We will break down that call next. Do stay with us.
If you are just looking at the top line indexes, you're missing some big moves in individual stocks. We're seeing Datadog down almost 10%, Atlassian, Zscaler, Okta, Airbnb, all sharply in today's session as well. Lower, the Nasdaq remains down about 1%. Yeah, and uh, the bail comes off CNBC's annual Disruptor 50 list tomorrow. It's been a decade of growth for many of the top companies, but a different story this year as rising rates hit valuations. Julia Borston, the creator of the list, joins us on set for uh, a deeper look at Disruptor performance. John, it's so great to be back here on set with you uh, at CNBC headquarters. Well, the Disruptor 50 list did indeed identify the next generation of tech-driven public companies over the past decade. The Disruptor 50 Index, which we launched in 2016, it tracks the performance of the 80 Disruptor 50 companies that have gone public. It is up 170% since then, compared to the Nasdaq's 130% gains in the same time period. So it has been a great decade for these companies, but it has been a very rough year. In the past 12 months, the index is down about 50% compared to a 13% decline for the NASDAQ as the broader tech sector has suffered and as investors have shifted from growth stocks like the fast-growing disruptors into more value stocks. But some graduates of the Disruptor 50 list have weathered the recent downturn and performed far better than others. There are 20 companies on the list that have at least doubled their market caps since their IPOs. The best performer, Shopify. It's up over 3,800% since its May 2015 IPO. Since MongoDB went public in October 2017 and Block, formerly Square, went public in November 2015, both of those companies have seen their stocks go up more than 1,400%. The worst performers, Root Insurance is down 95% since its October 2020 IPO. Blue Apron is down 93% since its June 2017 IPO. And Didi Shuxing, which went public June 2021, it's down about 88%. Now, the drop in those public valuations stands in sharp contrast to the growth of private company valuations. The combined value of this year's Disruptor 50 list, just to give you a little bit of a tease, it will be the highest ever by a long shot. And that disconnect between private and public company valuations is really pushing these private companies to stay private longer. They're waiting around until the public markets rebound. We will be revealing the list tomorrow in Squawk Box and on CNBC.com slash disruptors. And of course, we'll have a lot more on this show throughout the week, John. Yeah, looking forward to that. Now, the issue, of course, with the public ones is they get priced every day. The private ones, you know, maybe once a year or every two years or some reality checks to come there. Um, Shopify jumped out at me because you talked about how much it's up since the IPO. It's 79% off of its 52-week high. So doesn't some of this have to do with when these companies came public? Yes, how long ago when these companies came public. And also, some of them have just done a better job in in this past year at being um, sort of more prescient in terms of so, as you'll see, there are going to be a lot of these companies sort of in the in the logistics space. So you'll see which of these companies um, have, have weathered the storm better than others. But yes, even the ones that have performed the best are still off their highs. And that really reflects what's going on in the markets. Got to look at some of those disruptor balance sheets <laughs> to make sure they don't get disrupted. Julia, looking forward to that. Thank you. Uh, make sure to tune in 6 a.m. tomorrow when the 10th annual Disruptor 50 list will be revealed on air and online at cnbc.com slash disruptors. Tech Check. We'll be right back.
get a gut check on some cloud names. Baird updating its thesis on software with this recent tech sell-off, focusing on companies with strong global footprints and free cash flow. The firm is downgrading Twilio along with Rin Central and Bandwidth to neutral from outperform, arguing that while they're generally favorable on the company's long-term growth, they expect competition and limited profits to drag down the stocks in the near term. For more profitable names, they turn to Axon, naming it their top pick in the space, along with Zoom and Five9. Uh, Zoom wanted to marry Five9. What if? Dean, yeah, what if? What if? <laughs> and meanwhile, are we in the midst of an e-commerce recession? Companies like eBay and Amazon have said that they are seeing some softening trends as inflation continues to rise. So what does it mean for the rest of the retail space that we'll be reporting this week? Our Courtney Reagan has more on the read-through and some fear in the market right now. Hi again, Courtney. Hi, it's good to see you again, Dee. So unemployment remains low with more available jobs and we have workers to fill them. Home values have continued higher, though. Rising interest rates, of course, do hurt affordability. Stimulus payments, those are in the rear view. And perhaps so is some pandemic pent up demand spending, particularly online. So how is the U.S. consumer? Well, kind of depends on who you ask and if you mean today or tomorrow. There's been mixed messaging with some retailers putting up strong first quarters, but then fear in the forecast. And it's not just profitability concerns as costs rise from continued supply chain snarls, tight labor and higher energy prices. Sales are also seen slowing and MasterCard spending poll shows e-commerce sales overall have fallen the last two months compared to the prior year. Now, Amazon put up the slowest sales growth rate in two decades, and it doesn't expect the trend to change anytime soon eBay is projecting a revenue slowdown. Etsy's projecting revenue will also be below expectations. But competitors, Walmart, Target, Home Depot, and Lowe's have invested heavily in e-commerce. So did any or could any of them pick up online sales share from some of these e-commerce heavyweights? Decades high inflation could be pushing more shoppers to value-oriented retail options from Walmart to Target to TJX and Ross stores. Although secondhand e-commerce retailers thread up and Poshmark both put up pretty disappointing forecasts. In times of inflation, you'd think resale would see an influx of deal seekers, but it doesn't seem to be happening right now. Lower prices for gasoline at Walmart's Sam's Clubs might entice consumers to fill their tanks and their trunks in one stop. Sam's Club comparable sales forecasts are expected to grow more than Walmart's total U.S. comps. But we will find out more as this week wears on and we get the results and more importantly, D the commentary from execs. Absolutely. Courtney, thank you so much. And you mentioned Amazon as we had to break. Take a look at shares of the company. Since going public 25 years ago yesterday, um, it is up. Look at that. <laughs> Some huge amount, thousands percent. The stock is up. There we go. 148,000% since 1997. Although you can see that underperformance as of late. Stay with us. We're back in just a moment. Welcome back. Has hell frozen over again? Wedbush's Michael Pachter upgrading Netflix to outperform his second rating hike since early March after holding steady at an underperform since 2011. That's more than 10 years. And that is where we will begin today's overvalued, undervalued Pachter's bullish on the platform adopting ad-supported subscriptions, saying Netflix is in a position to exceed its second quarter guidance, adding that the company's staggered release of Stranger Things and Ozark could reduce churn as well. Now, his note comes as the company is looking to branch into live streaming for unscripted shows 
and stand-up specials, that first reported by deadline. Yet another potential business line. But on the other hand, they are still facing a lot of post-pandemic headwinds, tough competition, slowing growth, falling subs. That stock, as you probably know, is down more than 70 percent since November as the investor optimism on the Netflix story. John has done a complete 180. It's more common to hear now. Is streaming even a good business? But where Netflix was leading the way for so many years, all of these things kind of feel like it's catching up. Ad-supported model, live streaming, even gaming. Yeah. While this market tries to take companies from hero to goat pretty yeah. quick, um, that's not always that simple. All right. If you missed part of the show or you just can't stand looking at me and D while we talk, we're not offended. <laughs> Maybe just a little bit. But we got a podcast you can follow and subscribe and just listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download podcasts. Tech Check is back in a moment. One more thing. Well, at least one before we go, turning to former President Trump's future on social media. According to an SEC filing for Digital World Acquisition Corp., that's the SPAC backing the former president's new social network, Truth Social, uh, former President Trump is obligated to first post any content to his new property, and he can't post the same content onto, quote, any site to which he has access for at least another six hours. So that would apply to his Twitter account should he be allowed back on that platform, which uh, Elon Musk has signaled he it would take place if he takes control of the company, D. But this doesn't prevent other people from reposting what Trump posts on True Social right after he posts it. That's a great point. So it may not actually matter. I wonder what the fine is, too. Um, it does look like President Trump may be allowed back on Twitter. So it'll be an inter interesting dynamic between the other social media companies. Speaking of which, wouldn't be a complete show if we didn't take a look at the latest in that Elon Musk uh, Twitter saga, his deal to buy the platform, apparently still on hold. And he might be on thin ice tweeting that Twitter's legal team told him he violated their NDA by revealing... Uh, that they will sample 100 random accounts to determine their number of fake and spam profiles. He and Jack Dorsey also exchanging words. On the timeline this weekend, Musk tweeting out instructions to change the chronology on your Twitter feed, saying users are being manipulated by the algorithm. Dorsey pushing back, saying the algorithm was designed as a time saver. John, I don't know how you feel about this. I kind of like the algorithm. It sums up what I've missed chronologically. I get a lot of accounts that I used to follow that aren't necessarily that useful anymore. <laughs> I, I don't love the algorithm, but I do love how careful Elon is being to make sure that this deal comes through. I mean, first, you know, he's checking for the, the spam accounts, which he wasn't worried about already or anything. And now he's violating the NDA. I mean, you would almost think that he wouldn't cry <laughs> a river if this thing falls apart. Yeah. You might think, you might think that there was more behind this, John. Uh, meanwhile, taking a look at markets, the Dow has actually turned positive. We're up by about 50 points. NASDAQ's still lower, though it has recouped some of those earlier losses. It's down by about half a percent. The S&P 500 just around the flat line right now. We will be watching uh, those retailer earnings this week, see what happens with tech after a very volatile uh, week last week. Let's now get to Wapner in the half. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.